What's going on everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com uh, coming at you from Texas and we are calling in uh, to one Matt in Alaska. Matt, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I just got back from coaching. We got a basketball tournament coming up uh, that I'm coaching my middle school players in and uh, yeah, it's been a really busy couple of weeks here, man, for sure. <laughs> okay, excellent. So how'd y'all do? Well, we played uh, in our city league games we won uh, yesterday and the day before, but uh, we, this, this will be our first official game um, in, the, in the middle school basketball tournament. So we're pretty – our players are really excited, nervous, all those things that I'm sure everybody that's listening went through at that age. So, But I'm excited for sure. Okay, very cool. So, um, yeah, let me, let me kind of do a little intro for you here before we get started because I do have another kind of off-topic question for you since you're an Alaskan. But um, – so uh, for everybody else out there that's listening, Matt is an A-Rod collector, and uh, he's also co-host over at the Essential Credentials podcast, uh, and you can actually check that out on YouTube if you just uh, uh, do a search for the Essential Credentials. Is that correct? Excuse me. Yeah, that's correct. Just search the Essential Credentials on YouTube. You'll see a purple and orange logo, and we named it, uh, proudly named it after one of the most popular inserts ever from the 90s. Okay, so excellent. Uh, yeah, given given the name by Greg, who is my co-host, he came up with it, so perfect name. And I just talked to Greg. I uh, I asked him, uh, saying, you know, I think uh, we need to get him on uh, the show here as well uh, sooner than later because uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's hilarious. Like the first time I think he messaged me, uh, he asked me something about like uh, if if I think that he should he should let forks uh, still be a thing or something. I don't know. It was really really kind of it's it was funny and it sounds bizarre, yeah. but like that humor is like right up my alley. So <laughs> so I got a kick out yeah. of it. Um, but uh, anyway, so I have an Alaska question for you here. Um, so now it's uh, I guess this time of year. It's kind of dark 24-7, is that right? Or how does that work for you right now? Well, it, it's one of those misconceptions with people that, you know, live down south and think of Alaska. I think they think it's super cold all the time, it snows all the time, and it's dark all the time. But I live in south Alaska, which is very close to Canada, so lower Canada. So we're only like an hour and a half flight away from Washington. So we're in like a you know dense rainforest here. So it, right now it's about 40 degrees raining. And that's what most of our winter days are like. And it's sun, it, we get sun for about seven hours a day. Dang it! Well, man, I was I was hoping there was going to be like it was going to be like a pitch black 24/7, and I was going to ask you what people did in Christmas for their Christmas lights if they had it on, if they had them on 24/7. But I guess that's not the case then, huh? No, no. So when you go up north to Barrow, which I've been to twice, let's furthest north town in Alaska, and it's dark there the entire uh, winter for probably 35 to 40 days. They, they have very little light, and so that's what it's like up there, but here, you know, you still get a few hours of daylight for sure. So, and, and so you said like seven hours, I guess, then? Yeah, seven to eight, somewhere there. It kind of depends. I mean, right now, we're getting close to the winter solstice, you know, because we get very little light. For the most part, basically, you wake up, you go to work, and there's no light, it's not light out yet, and you're leaving work, 
and I teach, so when I leave work at three, it's starting to get dark already. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's not it's not as crazy as I thought it might be, where it's like you know pitch black twenty four hours a day, but uh, that's still pretty good, you know. So I'm not I'm not disappointed in hearing that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. No, it will plenty of, gives you plenty of time to feel like it's nighttime and, and sit down and look through your collection and you know kind of those those uh, winter nights or winter days where you're just kind of sitting around, kind of cozy in the house. Uh, it gives you a good excuse to hang out and uh, you know organize your collection with. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, you do need some of that daylight to get that refractor shine. That's for sure. <laughs> I know, man. I work hard on those pictures. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I see them, and I think uh, one of the pictures that you showed was a uh, uh, Pacific Revolution Shadow Series. Uh, mm-hmm. I think to, I think 1999. It's a blue one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, beautiful card, man. Yeah, I I, card. I sold mine, and uh, I actually I literally saw your card. And I go, huh, yeah, I got to get Canseco back into my collection. <laughs> so, so it's thanks to your, uh, your photography uh, handiwork there that I, in, in whatever filter you had on it, that I go, yep, I got to do this. Well, I, I have an iPhone X, and so it's got a wonderful camera, but it also, um, you know, has a really, it does a really good job of allowing me to um, change up the colors and the lighting a little bit. But part of it is the fluorescent lighting I have in my kitchen. And so my best lighting is literally right next to my stove. So I'm able to get some really good pictures uh, in that spot. And then when the sun actually comes out for a change here, it doesn't happen a lot right now. Um, I'll, you know, right in my bedroom, it comes right in on top of the bed. So I'm going to get really good pictures. So that natural light is key, man. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it's a, and it's kind of an interesting conversation in and of itself because... Uh, for people that are like really big into wanting to display their collection online, uh, I you know yeah. I, it sounds like you do the same thing I do. You like you kind of hunt for the right place uh, placement of the card so you can get the card to hit the light just right and make sure yeah. it just it's just perfect. And sometimes like I've seen you know I've uh, like myself uh, in my office I have like a swivel chair and so I'll have like a refractor in my hand. And depending on the time of day, I'll, you know, kind of swivel it one way or another or tilt the card. And I might take right. 10, 15, 20 uh, pictures. It sounds like a teenage girl taking a selfie, I guess. <laughs> but it says 39-year-old yeah. man taking a picture of a baseball card. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a real thing. that we, we spend time on this and significant amount of time on it as well. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. It is important, though, man, because I think not only does it help you appreciate the cards yourself, it helps people in our Facebook group target different cards, you know, because I think visually um, that's the thing that's going to stand out for a card for a lot of us. You know what I mean, rarity is, is you know, like you look at the um, pop stars luminaries, that's the one that's been posted a lot this week. I don't necessarily find those visually appealing unless you have like the rainbow out of five. So that card being out of a straight all but I'm going to prefer a card like an all-edge refractor for 99 top chrome because of how visually appealing it is any day of the week. You know, so I think that's why we take these pictures of our cards and, and you know try to get the right lighting because some of those cards just um, are so unique and they stand out so much. Um, and you there, Matt? Hello, hello. I think we lost Matt. 
Hope you can hear me. Okay. Hey, you there? Are you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear that now. Wow. It happened again, huh? Uh, well, uh, no, so, like, we're still recording here, um, but, like, you went blank. Yeah, which is funny because, again, an Alaska thing, um, I did not move an inch. My phone is sitting in the same spot. But I'm in a place where service decides that it wants to be um, stingy for, like, a minute. It happens when I talk on the phone all the time. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah, so anyway, where did you lose me? Um, let's see, I'm trying to, like, you, you said that something about the luminaries uh, in the Facebook group uh, out of five, the, the rainbow okay. ones, they're the ones that you like to look at the most? Yeah, yeah, so that card is, is visually appealing, but the ones out of 100 or 75, um, rarity in that case isn't what it makes me, uh, you know, go after cards necessarily. I've passed up that card many times, but a card like an all extra tracker from top throne i know you know that card right oh yeah oh yeah um, i'll go after that way more <laughs> yeah so that's the uh i believe that's the uh mcguire you sent me isn't that right that's correct yeah okay so i want to first of all for everybody out there listening uh you know when when you're listening to uh yours truly here the host of this podcast y'all didn't know that i was paid to be on other shows okay so Matt actually paid me in refractors to go to his podcast. So you, you might not have known how big time I was uh, up until this point. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, oh man, I know. I've, I've actually, uh, I didn't realize how big you were either until I realized how many YouTube videos you had. My last one I watched was the you pranking the, uh, the fake seller of the mantle. I enjoyed that one. That was good stuff. Oh, so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, speaking of that, there was another mantle uh, that's on Craigslist right now. It's beat to death, and the guy says he wants 125 bucks for it. And, uh, you know, that card in that condition will still fetch about seven grand. And I go, man, what is it with these people that are selling these? But, uh, but yeah, man, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that vintage is a whole other game that I don't have to worry about. You know, you don't see too many of these 90s cards. You know the cards that we go after um, getting getting listed like that yet um, you know it might come sooner than later but um, I think the ninth is so well taken care of when it comes to that as far as forgeries and fakes and all that stuff so yeah 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 no it's it's like a different uh, you know and kind of going back to even us talking about like uh, finding the right lighting and all that like uh, you know back for decades prior, that that isn't really an issue. Like you don't, uh, if you have like a, I don't know, an 82 tops Cal Ripken Jr. and you want to show it off, it doesn't matter what light hits it. It's just going to be an 82 tops Ripken, <laughs> you know? Uh, but when, right. it, when it comes to like a, uh, you know, I'll give you a real good example. Uh, the 98 essential credentials. So it's your, uh, your uh, namesake there on your podcast. Mm -hmm. the, uh, yep. the now and the future is like, I had seen one of one of them on eBay for Conseco, and that was it. There's like nothing else. And uh, I wasn't too wildly excited about it because the scans of those cards are terrible. They just don't look like good cards. But when you get them in hand and you get them under the right light, like they are probably oh, easily, I'd say, like top five most beautiful cards from the 90s. It's uh, 
it's amazing what some light will do uh, for some of these cards here. Oh, no, for sure, man. I, I think um, some cards, actually, you'll get them in hand, and you'll be completely shocked at how good they actually look. Um, you know, that happened with me just a couple days ago, or yesterday. I got that um, uh, impact refractor and got Bowman Chrome, and the card is incredible looking. All right, light, and it's all rainbowy, and um, it totally surprised me. Big time. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a happy accident when it happens. I uh, I completely get that. So um, now let's uh, let's talk about uh, you know A Rod for a little bit here. So uh, he's the right. guy that you collect and uh, you love his cards to death and everything. So tell us about how you got started on A Rod and uh, why and you know all the history of this. Uh, this is gonna be a fun story for me. Um, okay, so we'll go back. I'll take you back to 1996. The, like January 1996, and my grandfather uh, brought a Mariners VHS titled My Oh My to the house. And I kind of like baseball, but I really didn't know a lot of players because living in Slovakia, Alaska, we didn't get to watch the game. So he brings me this VHS, and I'm learning about all these Mariners players, and I realized how good they all were. And uh, that included like Edgar Martinez, Fourth Griffey Jr., Joey Cora, Jay Buhner, Dino Martinez. And I fell in love with the team from that point on. And so I started becoming a really big Joey Cora fan, but uh, it wasn't until I went to my first game in 1996 that I got to see Alex Rodriguez. And he was the first guy to hit a home run in my very first game. And so that right there had stolen. And he, he had what should have been an MVP season and go toward the next year. And I go to my second game ever. I go with my grandfather who takes me and I get A-Rod's autograph. And it was an incredible story, too. I'm sure your listeners will get a kick out of it. I'm in the second row the Kingdom where the players sign. And I'll keep this PG as best I can, but there were three, you know, gorgeous women standing in front of me and trying to yell at Alex. And he's kind of playing it cool, you know, and he finally walks over and, like, does a cool turn, you know, comes over, and I'm standing right behind the girls so I could care less about it at this point. Um, and kind of stuck his hand through, and he grabbed my program. He signed, like, 30 things, and then he took off. So I come back to my seat, and my grandpa is expecting me to be upset, and I show it to him, and he couldn't believe it. And so I have that frame, and it hangs on my wall by my two bookshelves that display on my card. And, you know, honestly, when I decided to play again about four and a half years ago, four years ago, it was an easy choice. You know, um, he's, he's a sentimental player to me. He wears my favorite number, or he did, in Seattle. And he's the same height as I am. And he, he bats the same way I do, so I think it was it was an easy choice. And they, he's in every instance that you ever hope for. So that kind of feels feel for me. And everything's been on history since then. I mean, I I found my Facebook group, I found all the forums, and started studying and learning. It's an ongoing process, but my appreciation continues to grow the hobby in the 90s because all the you know community members and all the amazing oddball cards that I found over the years. So it's been really, really 
Wow, very cool. Yeah, I, you know, it, all of this starts to is starting to sound like deja vu, you know, for some reason. I don't know. It's almost like we talked about some of this before already. <laughs> um, and uh, I've, yeah, right? <laughs> I've already kind of complained to everybody uh, on the show here how I thought we just had this this wonderful back and forth for like over an hour and just lost it. But um, uh, but yeah, I. It, well, I added the uh, I added the. Uh, part about getting his autograph i didn't mention that last time so there's a little tidbit for you i mean honestly i i remember going back to my seat and my grandpa as i'm approaching his seat next to me he had this really upset look on his face because he knew i was going to be disappointed but then he realized i had the autograph and while we're sitting there in shock all these kids are walking by crying and i kind of felt bad but i also was like elated you know what i mean to share that memory with him and to be able to get the best player on the team's autograph was really cool yeah so and that's what i was going to say is I, i'm appreciative that you added some extra uh flavor to that uh to that story i i didn't know about that i didn't know about the the ladies that were there uh as well that's uh it, it kind of helps paint a yep. picture for me and everybody else of uh how it all looked you know so we can kind of take it right. all in so because it's uh man i'm telling you like uh there, there's nothing quite like getting an autograph of somebody that you really admire uh in person right you know and, and so for years i i used to always go to the the tri-star baseball card show here and i would see the suckers in line paying too much money for these autographs of these guys that you could easily get for less than half on ebay or something right and so uh then i went to see uh I went to get some autographs myself of like uh, uh, Tom Glavin, Craig DiBiggio, Frank Thomas, and even Conseco uh, later on and uh, at these shows. And I go, ah, I didn't get it. It was it was not just about the autograph. It was about the experience. It was about actually going up there, shaking their hand, getting a picture taken with them, and having like even just this like minute interaction of like, a sentence or two or something that you kind of rehearse in your head and you hope and pray that you get it right and you don't sound stupid, you know? And, and then, uh, when it's done, you just remember the whole thing for the rest of your life. Oh, for sure. Forever. You're never going to forget something like that, man. Even if it's a tiny interaction, for sure. And it's, it's really funny because like, uh, uh, with Frank, uh, Thomas, I could say Frank cause I met him, you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're pals now, you know, but, uh, <laughs> so funny. You're uh, pals now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've met each other. He surely he knows who I am. Right. Uh, but I remember, uh, uh, creating these custom cards for him and, uh, to have him sign. And so he signed, uh, he signed them and I, I gave him one and he's like, Oh, thanks man. That's really cool. I really appreciate it. And you know, uh, we're able to take a picture, it's all smiles and everything. And so the whole interaction was probably, oh, I don't know, 45 seconds or a minute or something. But then, uh, you know, flash forward to like the 2019 World Series, my man, Frank Thomas, is doing the pregame show and I'm able to, you know, sit there on the couch in my living room with uh, with Holly and Atticus and Beckett and me, it just kind of had this smug look and, and pointing go, I know that guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. That's cool, man. What a neat what a neat experience, though. You know what I mean? I've all heard from Dan that he's a super nice guy. Everybody says Frank's one of the nicest guys. And I think that, for me, says so much more about the players, you know, to be collecting somebody that you, you know is a stand-up guy. And for me, that, that's really helped with Alex because he's really worked on his image and tried, you know, 
seen him do videos on his YouTube channel where he stops and talks to kids. You know, it doesn't just take pictures with him, but says, you know, hey, I want to talk baseball with you, and I want to teach you something. And as a teacher, that really stands out to me. So it's definitely added. I love collecting him as a player because of how he's, you know, kind of portrayed nowadays as, you know, 10 years ago when everybody hated him. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy how things change. Like my guy Jose, you know, he uh, uh, he was hated for a very long time for obvious reasons. But I will go ahead and uh, you know state them here as well. So number one, the the steroid usage, and number two, ratting out everybody in his book. Uh, and to this day, uh, like I was just talking to uh, one of his best friends, Carlos, uh, on the phone probably about four or five hours ago. Because uh, he was he was asking about a custom, and uh, you know we were talking about about Canseco, like how he's genuinely a nice person. Like when you talk right. to him, he's just a he's just a nice person. Like he he uh, gives people uh, time and he gives people things. I mean it's it's amazing. And so when I uh, see Rodriguez on television or something, uh, part of me thinks, oh, you know, this is just his you know, his television persona or something, but, uh, but I see something that, uh, makes me feel like he, he is a nice guy also. And, uh, which is a far cry from what we hear about, you know, their, uh, the other, uh, steroids guy, uh, out there, Barry Bonds, you know, we hear that sometimes he's not exactly the nicest guy. I'm not sure what he's been doing with his image lately though. Right. Yeah. I, I think Barry will get to a point where he, maybe try to improve it a little bit but you know Barry's always been that you know and one thing I remember watching baseball in the early 2000s is him always having that reputation of just not giving a crap about and hopefully that doesn't hurt his chances of being recognized as one of the greatest players ever because he really was an amazing player his entire career and his, his, you go look at his stats and how much he got walked those few years. It's unbelievable, man. I, I'll tell you what. Like, I don't remember uh, that many people uh, going up to bat with the bases loaded and the pitcher being so scared to death of Bonds that he intentionally yeah. walks him. I mean, that's just nuts to me. I've never, like, I don't remember seeing that for anybody else. I don't think anybody in history has ever been walked with the bases loaded before. That that's the crazy thing to me. Yeah, it's uh, he he was definitely something special even before the steroids. Like, 150 pound uh, soaking wet Barry Bonds of the late 80s and early to mid 90s was was special as it was. But like, stacking roids on top of it where he got huge and everything was just like you know just not fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. No, he, he didn't need to do it. You know, Alex didn't need to do it. Jose probably didn't need to do it. Mark McGuire definitely didn't need to do it. Um, Raphael Palmeira, none of those guys. None of them needed to do it. But, you know, for, for me and you and anybody that collects bonds, you can ask Ben, you can ask Alan, any of those guys, Nate. Um, we view our guys as the 90s players that they were. Pre-steroids, you know what I mean? And I think that is the most important thing for me. You know what I mean? Alex was a fairly skinny dude on the Mariners still, and he was quiet. He learned from Edgar Martinez. Um, you know, he really didn't draw too much attention to himself. He was a big-time big kid in the community. Um, 
you know, he was still young, but I thought that he did a really good job in Seattle. And once the money got to his head, he changed a lot of his person for a while, for sure. Yeah, I, I think, you know, speaking of steroids, uh, you know, usage, you know, look, it's, that was the, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a steroid apologist by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I do like to, to comment on what my thoughts are. Uh, and, and when it comes to the 90s, the 80s and 90s, I mean, everybody was on them. And not that it makes it uh, okay, um, because it doesn't. But, uh, you know, when you have that context and you judge the other players based upon it, you can say, okay, well, yeah, the, the hitters were on, but so, so were the pitchers, you know. So it, it's kind of a sure. more of a little yeah. bit of a level playing field. Now, it's not fair to the guys that did it right um, nope. and didn't take steroids, but it gives a different perspective, I think. I think so, too. You know, and I think another thing to consider is the fact that, you know, when they first started doing those things, it wasn't necessarily illegal. And so not that I think it's okay, but, um, you know, you know this better than most. I think you guys are just doing it. And thankfully, you know, some of the better players um, that, you know, are in the Hall of Fame did not do those things. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where – a lot of guys were doing it um, in the early 2000s, and people would lie if, you, if they said that baseball wasn't one of the most exciting times it's ever had in those days. So, you know, um, but I don't condone it. You know, I wish Alex would have stayed in Seattle and never done it and had an amazing 20-year career with the Mariners. We probably would have won a couple World Series with him, but it is what it is, and I've got some amazing memories of him and some wonderful cards to go after while he was on the Mariners, so... I'm not complaining. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that baseball probably really needed that. Uh, They didn't really need it, need it, but it was, it was certainly very helpful to uh, uh, give the viewership back after the lockout of 94. So, um, you know, everybody wanted to see the home runs, of course. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. Uh, You know, it's, it's, again, it's not okay, but it's more of a, you know, oh, okay. I understand (laughs) now, you know, Um, but but so uh, now turning the corner back to baseball cards here, um, you know, one thing I found very interesting is there's a lot of guys that like, for instance, for me, uh, when it comes to Kenseiko, I love all of the teams he was on. He played for seven teams. Uh, he also has team uh, cards with uh, the Angels and Expos. I mean, I love it. So he's got nine teams for me to go after. And so I enjoy that stuff. Um, but uh, for you, you've decided to carve out your little niche collection of uh, limiting only A-Rod to A-Rod cards where he's uh, in a Mariners uniform. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. And and I think for me, I did that for two reasons. Um, Anybody that collects a player like Bond or even Tim Salmon, shout out to Greg, um, Cal Ripken, Francis Jeter, Griffey, those guys, they, well, Griffey, not as much because he played for a couple other teams, but all those guys that played for one team, first of all, have cards all over through the early 2000s, and there's so many more to chase. A lot of you know, patches, jerseys, die cuts, all this stuff. So if I was going after all those cards, geez, I, wouldn't be, I would have to pick and choose so much. But for me, in my mind, Alex's career is tainted from the point that he left the Mariners because he admitted it. Once he went to the Rangers, he started taking steroids because he had all this pressure on him. So I literally, I, I can't own a Rangers card. It makes me sick. 
Um, I can't. I don't want to own any. I, I don't find joy looking at a Rangers card, and so I, I really, you know, have, have the cutoff date at, at the 2000s. And he's got a few, you know, 2001 to now Mariners cards, but I really, you know, I get to pick and choose what I go after there too. It's, there's very few, so it's quite easy to, to kind of stick to that era. But for you, I mean, don't you find it a little bit tricky to be tracking down cards spread out? all through the 2000s as well? Well, you know, it's the, the, the former super collector uh, in me was, uh, had, a, had a heck of a time doing it. It was, it was almost like a, almost kind of like a full-time job, you know, because I would just like park there on eBay, you know, and wear out that F5 key, you know, refresh, refresh, refresh. Um, <laughs> there's so much out there. And, uh, you know, ultimately I did basically end up getting almost everything there's there's a small pile of cards i didn't get but uh you know when it comes to when it comes to a point of uh needing well quote unquote needing only uh, a handful of cards you're never guaranteed yeah. that any of them will ever show up so uh so so yeah it was certainly challenging but now uh i don't have a goal or a mission to get cards just for the sake of getting them because I don't have them. Uh, yeah, so, right. so now for now, what I could do is I can, uh, I could be okay with missing a, you know, timeless treasures out of 25 that I saw, uh, you know, the other day on eBay for 30 or 40 bucks because I don't care about the card. Um, you know, I just, I used to like it, but I'm not really sure why, <laughs> you know? Um, right. And that happens to me for a lot of cards, like where, uh, when I was big into super collecting, the most important card to me, it was the one I was looking for, you know, like it, it wasn't about what I had. So, uh, it was, but nowadays it's, it's definitely all about what I have as opposed to like what's out there. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, of course, just, uh, you know, I'm sure you can understand this too. Uh, the chase makes it exciting, you know, but like having something that you're proud of makes it fulfilling. So, uh, oh, for sure. So, and, and, you know, let's talk about this also, like your collection specifically, uh, you know, give us some of the highlights of your collection. Like what are your, what are the cards that you're most proud of? Oh man, that's a great question. All of them? All of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, first off, I'm with you. I, I have maybe 25% or less of my cards that don't get me too excited because I'm kind of like sort of getting into super collector. But I don't just grab every single thing. I mean, first off, I will say right now, A-Rod's interest is growing, so I'm having to scoop up cards that I do like, cards that I've kind of been hoping would pop up for cheaper. And that's not happening anymore. I'm starting to pick up some of those type of cards. Um, I will say that almost every card that I own, I find appreciation for, whether it's a dollar-specific card or it's my all-time favorite card. So... I'd say some highlights for me um, over the last three and a half years was first off getting on the Freedom Cardboard, which you're familiar with, right? Yes. Huh? Okay. And when I decided I was going to collect Erod, um, everybody was very accepting of that and very helpful. And there's a couple of uses on there that helped me find two of my most wanted cards at the time. One was the holo holographic for my Onyx, and that was a card that I owned for a you know cheap $35 in 2012 when I was moving to go teach 
that was a terrible idea to just held on to it. <laughs> and then um, so I was able to get that for about double that price. And I told myself, I'm never letting this card go. And then I was able to find the uh, Donruss 98 Donruss Power Alley die cut, the old one. And those two cards, I mean, were just, you know, I saw them on Griffey and I'm like, okay, I've got to get these of A-Rod. So I'm very proud of those two cards, especially because of the way that they um, got to me. You know what I mean? And so from that point on, I, you know, met Brant, who is an A-Rod super collector. And fast forward about a year, and he says, uh, you know, my kid, one of my kids is getting ready to go to college, and I'm building a house, so why don't you buy some of my cars? And I said, uh, that'd be great. <laughs> so I had a few on my up to want list, and, and he was kind enough to sell most of those. None of the really big ones. He kept a lot of the really expensive ones for the right reasons. And so I was able to get, like, the Fortune 15 refractor, which had always been uh, one of my top wants the most beautiful card I own in my collection from 99 Tops Chrome, as well as, you know, various others that, that we've uh, shared and posted on the page. But I think my most enjoyable card at this moment is one that I was chasing for years. And I got to ask you, before I card, I mean, I'm sure you can, as a super collector, say, like, there's a card you were chasing for years, and when you finally get it, it's like this overwhelming emotion of happiness and relief in a way right oh my gosh there's like nothing like it you know like when you like that that's like that's the the cherry on top is you know first of all it's just fun searching you know what i mean it's it's fun trying to find uh the the card that you always wanted and, and the hunt is fantastic but when you get it and you you find it you, you go through all the emotions of the rush of actually making the purchase or making the deal or whatever, depending on, on where you get it. Uh, then you go through the anxiety of making sure it actually gets to you. Uh, and then when it comes, like, you know, your heart starts beating a little, little louder and then uh, you open it up and it's just like super exciting. Yep, I completely get it. Yeah, and I know that's how it was for that mirror gold in Seiko because that was the first one you'd ever seen. And the first one that ever been for sale on eBay. So that must have been just an overwhelming amount of emotions uh, back in, you know, when I got that. And for me, I was very fortunate that um, the card, was, I was able to make a deal for it off eBay. And it ended up being one of the coolest stories. And this card is the 1998 Upper Deck Director Quantum Leap. And all of you, you know, that have been on the podcast with me have been kind of looking out for me here and there if it ever popped up and I was on eBay at about 11 o'clock at night and my heart just like almost jumped out of my chest because there it is on eBay and I'm like no way this is really happening and what happened is it was a brand new seller so of course I'm nervous right from the get go so I messaged the seller and, and she came back to me at like 6am and I started talking with her and it sounds like you know she's selling her husband's collection for him so we start talking prices, and, and eventually she said, hey, my husband's earned a few off that much. I would I would accept it. And so within like 10 minutes, I paid her, and she had a picture of the mailing label and the card right outside the package, and it was on its way to me about an hour later. Uh, so I felt really, really about it. Yeah. And forward to it getting here, it was kind of in, a, in the bubble mailer, but loose. It wasn't you know, wrapped up with cardboard or anything. So I was a little bit nervous about that when I first pulled it out of the mailbox. 
and I ended up contacting him. I got his email from her and contacted him, and the coolest thing was that back in 1998, he bought one of those lunch boxes, pulled that card, and put it in one of those snap cases that you use to display all your Consecos. Oh, wow. And it had all these scratches all over it. Like, it was a well-loved card, let me tell you. <laughs> it was a well-loved card, and he was the only owner. He pulled it out of the box, and then it went to me. So I feel like that just makes the card 10 times more amazing rather than buying it from some random person on eBay, you know. So it's a super cherished card for me. It sits right in the middle of my bookshelf on the top shelf on, like, my top 10 card shelf there. And, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's got a, a wonderful story and memory behind it for sure. Yeah, a thousand percent, man. Like, the stories make the cards. Like, uh I've, I've got people uh, asking me all the time because they see me buying cards that were already in my collection before. And they say, well, don't you feel kind of stupid that you sold them and are buying them back? And, uh, you know, the answer is always no. It has been so fun. Like, I've enjoyed being able to have the, you know, have the, uh, the hunt again. Like, for me personally, I wouldn't put it past me for uh, selling everything over again and, and starting over even again because it's uh, the hunt is, is is really kind of uh, undervalued, I think, by a lot of people. Like to be yeah. able to have a story of having a card, getting rid of it, finding another one or finding the same one and having it come back to you. You Like uh, I've got a, uh, a barrel, for instance, that uh, I sold to a dealer and the dealer had it for sale at a card show. Uh, this guy picks picks the card up for one of my uh, quote-unquote rivals, I guess you could call him, that's a super collector that never lets go of anything. Uh, so it's in his collection forever, basically. Well, I end up doing a deal with somebody else for a, uh, for a bat barrel, uh, do, you know, work up a deal to, uh, to do a trade with my, uh, other rival there. And it comes back to me, you know, like that whole story, it makes it so much better for me as opposed to if I just kept it or something, you know, it wouldn't mean nearly as much to me. Now I got a question. Is that the same bat barrel that was in your video that you posted on YouTube on your channel, which I really enjoyed watching all those cards being shown off. Is that the bat barrel auto that you showed? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the 2016 Panini Immaculate, uh, bat barrel. It's got the nameplate and, uh, you know, I, I used to have, I want to say about four barrels and, uh, you know, for Conseco, like back then he only had like maybe five, <laughs> you know, out there. So, uh, the other ones were licensed, but, and they're, and they're beautiful. All of them are beautiful. But for me personally, I think it's because, of my love for the nineties cards that this immaculate speaks to me so much. It's got the gold hollow foil throughout it and none of the others do. Uh, so it really right. speaks to me. It's my favorite bat barrel of Kinseiko that's uh, that's been made. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That card, that card was really, really fascinating for me to see. And even though it's Panini, if they ever were able to get the license or, or get a Mariners logo on there, I would and get an A-Rod Mariners bat barrel. That would be, uh, wow, that would be one of the coolest cards to own for sure. But thankfully, they don't have any Mariners autos that appeal to me, so I don't have to, you know, go out of pocket for that. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, yeah, the barrels can be like, uh, 
otherworldly expensive along with the knobs and all that and because really yeah. you're kind of getting away from baseball cards and more into like these you know art pieces and, and really yeah you know i'm gonna perjure myself by saying this uh, and go back on my on my word uh I just said, but like 90s cards, man, they're art also. I mean, they're just, they're incredible. I, I love the 90s inserts and parallels. Oh, man, they're, they're nothing like it, man. It really yeah. isn't. I mean, there's so much to chase and to learn about them, and the, the technologies that were used back then were so unique and so much fun to just look at. I mean, you know, you have that whole binder just full of those 90s cards of, you know, random stars from the 90s, and watching you, you know, put those in the binder and say, wow, I didn't realize how amazing this card is. And because Jose's not in it, you know? And so that that was really fun for me, watching you go through some of those cards, because I had the same reaction when I found picked them up for the first time. So it was really cool. Yeah, and, and you know, the the first time that, that we spoke, I was I was meaning to tell you this. Uh, so I'm glad we're, we're doing this over again for this, for this reason alone. Uh, but uh, the uh, there's somebody that was actually working over for uh, I don't know what you call it Fleer Skybox back in the mid 90s and uh, somebody had actually interviewed the lady that was like the main design person did you watch that yeah. interview I did I loved it I loved every second of it man it was awesome so, at least from her end too she just had so many fascinating insights on the designs of the cards and that was really cool. He was a basketball guy, but for us baseball guys, I was every time she brought up the set, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know about that set, you know. So it was really cool. Yeah, and I loved it. And so for everybody that's listening, um, you know, just to kind of give you a little bit of context here, uh, somebody posted on, I guess our Facebook group. Uh, did somebody post in our Facebook group? Is that right, or, or was it somewhere else? Yeah, I believe uh, Eric Johnson posted that. I want to say. And he, he had posted that in there and said, hey, go check this out. Okay. Awesome. Okay. And by the way, for everybody listening, uh, our Facebook group is the 1990s to 2004 uh, Inserts Baseball Card Group, um, I believe is what it's called. So check us out on uh, on Facebook. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, what they did was they uh, – uh, this lady that was the lead designer, I guess you could say, is is her and her husband that were like the lead designers, if I remember correctly, for Fleer or Skybox in the in the mid to late nineties. Is that is that about right? Yes, yes. So her and her husband designed most of the Fleer Skybox sets for all the sports up until yeah, early two thousands, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and she just had some great insight for me because she talked a lot about clear metal because you know him being a basketball card collector the whole precious metal gym that has gone absolutely bananas and beyond and so i grew up and i remember 1996 clear metal for baseball that set was was it for me and my dad man uh when we pulled the joey core out of the pack who was my favorite player before aaron and we lost it we absolutely went bonkers like we had pulled a you know griffy 101 crying out loud it could have been, it might as well have been you know and ever since then i've always loved that set and now i have the master set of 96 clear metal and and that card designs were nobody's ever done anything like that with the comics and stuff you know and so to hear her talk about how the artist came up with those designs for the cards with these massive eight by ten drawings and they would have it labeled where all these different elements were going to go. That, for me, was the best part of the interview. 
that was really neat. Yeah, like I will, uh, I will take that uh, type of an interview any day over a good movie because I, oh man, I loved hearing. I, I remember some things that stuck out to me when she was talking. Was number one, I guess uh, Marvel bought out Fleer Skybox or whatever back in the mid '90s, and yep. uh, what was very interesting to me because I'm just getting into comic books this last year myself uh, is the uh, the cards that were put out, like metal, for instance were heavily superhero influenced and you could see uh the artwork in the back like you could kind of see the the influence which was kind of neat um so i, I like that the other thing that i thought was interesting which i thought that you probably uh, picked on picked up on as well was uh the 98 essential credentials the now and future uh, she talked about how like they basically handmade those cards, like they were different la uh, layers that they put on top of each other. Uh, do you, yeah. re you recall her saying that? Yeah, well, I, I don't remember it being handmade necessarily, but they had to get the printing machine to cut different layers. Like even the base cards were made the same way the <clears throat> credentials were. They just the credentials were colored different. They had a different guy in that estate. But yeah, those cards. She said that they had to cut each layer and then glue them together and so for me that's what makes that base card one of the best base cards ever because the intricacies of the design of it you know i mean weren't those boxes like 100 bucks pop back in the 90s you got three cards per pack and there was only 18 cards or 18 packs in the box something like that wow like can you imagine like uh, somebody that uh would have come back from the hobby from the 80s and let's say they uh, started collecting again back in the late 90s i mean and you see something like that totally would have looked like alien technology right right and so i think that's why it was slept on so much is in the 90s it was like if you look in a beckett from the 90s which i have um, those cards are not necessarily priced any you know like ridiculously high like they are now. Like a couple of them are in the hundreds. You know, the Grippies and the Jeters and the, you know, A-Rod and Ripken, those are all in the two or three hundred range. But it's nothing that would jump out to you and say, you, know, you have to have one of these. And I think they were kind of like an anomaly in a way. We really didn't know what to make of them. But the appreciation for them has gained, from, like, it's gone up tremendously. That's, I think, a big part of that basketball market really driven the insert prices up a lot for some of those yeah and it's kind of uh i don't know i feel kind of uh hypocritical in a way i think all 90s collectors do uh because in a sense because like they want everybody to see the beauty and the wonder that is the 90s uh baseball cards but they also want to keep it a secret <laughs> that way the the prices yeah. will stay down so um I, I do i do think that probably uh, I, I kind of lean more toward wanting to uh, spread public awareness uh, for it for sure, uh, which is why I do all kinds of little videos all over social media. I just got on uh, Instagram and TikTok recently as well, uh, posting uh, yep. videos of baseball cards and uh, do it on Twitter yep. and Facebook, as you know. And, uh, and a lot of it's mainly not just to kind of show off my collection. I mean, I'm not, you know, look, I'm going to, yeah, it, it, it doesn't do me a whole lot of good for posting like a, a $2 card. But my hope is that other people will see the card that I'm, that I'm posting and say, hey, that's really cool. Maybe I should see if my guy's in this. That is something that I battle with 
on a weekly basis when we do our podcast, the Essential Credentials, because when Greg came up with the idea for the podcast, uh, we were excited to be able to have more reasons to talk about the cards that we love. But at the same time, we also told each other, be careful about talking about your greatest one, because if you bring up how cool a quantum leap is, the next time that thing comes up, there could be a guy who doesn't even collect A-Rod, but he wants a card. So you add two or three more people in there bidding on a card, that sucker is going to go for way more. And so we have to really be careful of talking about how amazing certain cards look. Like, for instance, um, Greg had a, had a quantum leap of Vladimir Guerrero for about six months before I got mine of A-Rod. And I, I made sure to tell him, like, okay, you can show it you know, for your new pickup, but let's try not to plug that card too much. <laughs> yeah. You got a flip side of that too, you know, like for Greg, he's looking for that 99 collector's choice, prime choice reserve of Tim Salmon, and he has been bringing it up so much because that card never shows up, he's trying to get the word out, to get people to post it for sale, you know. So it kind of goes both ways, and uh, there's no real happy medium. You know, you can worry about the car going up in price, but then again, you're happy that more people are recognizing them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been my experience because I've, I've been talking to a lot of other uh, player collectors, super collectors, team collectors, whatever you want to call them, uh, that have, you know, they have cardboard is like a massive passion. And so they worry about getting their want list out there like too much because they're, they're afraid. And I understand that, you know, they have competition, they're afraid that it's gonna jack up the price, but you know, what I did for years is I, I made these graphics. I, uh, I posted wanted signs with them with a uh, finder's fee and all that sort of thing. Like, you know, hey, look, if you find a nice uh, select certified mirror gold Canseco, uh, let me know or, or point me to it because I'll pay you $50 just for the lead, you know? And uh, yeah. uh, it's been yeah. my experience that uh, it really was a good thing uh, to get the awareness out there. Um, but with that said, I can completely understand. Yeah. If, if you make a card look too awesome, <laughs> other people might say, yeah, I think I need that in my collection also. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I've gone back and forth on it. And right now I'm going through a phase where I've gone, you know, for me personally, I've gone a little bit too crazy, but I don't know if you experienced this. This is one of the questions I wanted to ask this time around on the, on our second try of this interview is when you were going heavily after Conseco, when you were in your like full bore super collecting phase, did you feel like when you found out there was competition for his cards that you really had to start going after cards that you necessarily would wait on or cards that maybe weren't valued too much to you, but because other people wanted them, now you want them, you know. Um, I'm definitely going through that phase a little bit now where there's cards I'm picking up that I kind of would have been okay passing it on in the past, you know. Yeah. But now, you know, um, I, I can just throw this out here. He won't mind. Um, Bo Carter is a newer A-Rod collector, and he picked up this flare card that, I mean, it's such a unique card. It's like this redemption for a signed glove. It's the hardest insert pull of all the 90s cards. And because I was, you know, kind of stingy, I uh, missed out on it. So I definitely had to change 
mentality a little bit. Did that happen to you too? And you really got into, you know, into the like the middle of your your super collecting phase? Oh, never, not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so let me tell you something. Like, it got bad. Like, there, there's probably, there probably at the time four or five other uh, Canseco guys that were going hardcore. And at this time, it's not like this anymore. Uh, but at the time, uh, like you could list a Canseco one of one uh, of pretty much anything as long as it wasn't just like some massively huge price and it would be gone inside of five minutes or so. There was never, like 2015, 16, uh, there was never a Canseco really uh, that would be reasonably priced uh, that would stay on, on for like a day. It just didn't happen. Um, and so a lot of that was, <laughs> a lot of that was my fault because obviously I would buy a lot of them, but um, because I was so, uh, uh, so intense, as far as buying everything that I didn't have, uh, that kind of caused all the other, like I know my competition by name, like every single one of them. And uh, so that caused everybody to kind of up their game too. And so what would happen is some cards would be purchased because they were kind of uh, you know afraid of me picking them up and, and even vice versa sometimes where I would get a card and go, oh crap, well, you know, I, I'd want to pay 50 for this, but it's up for 90. Uh, but I'm, I don't know if I'll ever see it again. So I'm just going to pull the trigger, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah, that happened quite often, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's starting to happen a little bit now. And it's definitely new territory for me, man. It's never been something that I've ever, um, thought about, you know what I mean? Until maybe two months ago. And it's amazing. All it takes is, you know, a couple guys getting back into it. And now you've really got to be on your A game. You know, you you got to be checking the searches, and you got to be, um, you know, checking all the places that sell cards. And I'll admit, man, it's been a little overwhelming for the last couple of weeks for sure. But at the same time, it's been fun, you know, because I'm I'm starting to gain appreciation for cards that I came over in the past. Just like that platinum medallion I posted yesterday, I that thing's been up for six on eBay, <laughs> you know, and uh, from '97 Ultra. Oh, man, what a cool card. I mean, they've it, it, always been in that. I mean, you ought to see this play case, man. It's, like, thick enough that I could probably defend myself from a burglary with it. It's huge. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'll probably uh, – yeah, so I think we've got about a few more minutes here. So let's uh, let's end on, on you know, your display uh, you know area there. So when you walk into your place, like, what do, what do people see? Well – not in the living room where you're going to find my display, but my goal is always to have a room that somebody, even if they don't collect baseball cards, could walk in and have an appreciation for that era of cards. And so a couple of bookshelves came up for sale last month, and in this town, you know everybody. So I had actually taught the, uh, one of the daughters in that household when she was in fourth grade, and so I knew her mom already. I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? And so I was able to strike a deal on both shelves, these big, heavy-duty, great-quality bookshelves. And they sit in my room where there's very little natural light coming in most of the day. And I have them against the back wall in the corner, and I have every single card that's in a magnetic in those bookshelves. And so when you come in and the lights go on, um, and it's not finished yet, I'll point that out, um, you're going to see a lot of refractors shining up 
and then a lot of the cards that are laying flat on the bookshelves are on you know some of the more rare and, and valuable cards. But you'll see a complete representation of what 90s inserts were all about if you were to walk in there for sure. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's go ahead and stop there for uh, you know for this episode. And the reason why I say that is because man, I got to be honest with you. I want you on again, and uh, I That'd think awesome. I think we gotta we gotta have a little extra to talk about. But like I said before. Uh, if you and I had nothing else to do, uh, we'd probably be able to talk for hours and hours and hours about this stuff. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I will. Uh, I'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up here. So, uh, how about you tell everybody uh, if they have a rare A Rod card, how can they get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is to find the Essential Credentials podcast on YouTube and comment on one of the videos that you have a rare 90s A-Rod card, and we'll talk about what those cards are on your next episode that you have me on at that school with you so people can uh, look through the cards. But just comment that you have them, and, and I'll get in touch with you from there. That would be awesome. Awesome. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, so everybody, if you all have a rare 90s A-Rod, reach out. Reach out for sure. So, uh, you know, Matt, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, and I guess I'm going to be on uh, on your show uh, in... Hi, was that like Tuesday? Is that right? No, no, we're gonna see. we're gonna do it on Sunday. On Sunday, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sunday night. I know. I actually said, uh, yeah, let's do it Wednesday, and then you had that hilarious gif of why? Why would you do that without me? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm really excited. We got Greg's obviously gonna be there. You're gonna be there. Nate's gonna be there. Top 85 401. It's gonna be a refactor special. It's gonna be awesome. Excellent. Okay, everybody. So, tune in. Uh, at that point, Sunday at uh, 11 CST PM, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Excellent. The Essential Credentials Podcast on YouTube. Um, okay, well, again, Matt, hey, stay on the line. Let me uh, let me uh, go ahead and cut this off, and uh, we'll say our goodbyes, all right? Sounds great.